welcome to another Decade in Review podcast. We're into the second half now. We only got five of these left, so hopefully we can get through them all before the end of December. I'm LB. Joining me as always is CT. Good evening. So we're going to be focusing on 2016 in this podcast, and 2016 was actually, I don't want to say eventful, but it definitely had quite a few series that are worth mentioning in one form or another. I had to sit down and really parse through my list for this year did you have any issue well actually i take that back i'm not even going to ask because you already had your list compiled (laughs) well i switched things around but yes 2016 was the first year that i think i watched Uh, 2016 or 17 i watched the most during that year and 2016 was one of those where i talked the most with people about it it sort of really set me down the path of doing, you know, Discord chat and, uh, and other things that, uh, uh, became sort of much more event viewing. I would watch certain shows with a friend, but this one became, okay, let's all chat about the show afterwards and throw screenshots at each other and all, all manner of stuff. So I feel like it was a very involved, uh, if, if you don't want to say eventful, I think a substantial year uh, definitely uh, uh, applies for its entirety. So, yeah, I mean that works. Uh, during 2016, I was still podcasting. This around this time, I was podcasting on the Otaku Sphere chat uh on a weekly basis so that was a lot of fun shout out to karen for hosting those those were a blast what i want to start off this show with though is that not only were there a lot of really good shows but this year is notable to me because we there were also shows that really did not sit well with me. I actually have a list of like four series that were actually kind of misses with me, and I didn't want to put them on my honorable mention because I didn't want to just go full negative with that. But I want to bring up a couple of series that didn't sit well with me. And Happy was... 2016. I don't remember clearly why this series makes me angry. I just remember that the first episode really made me angry. (laughs) Kumamiko had a really horrible ending, which uh, we talked about this on an earlier uh, cast. I still have not gone back and watched this series again ever since, just because the ending was so terrible. Uh, and then there were a couple of others. Drifters. I'm not saying that Drifters is a bad series, but if you don't know your history inside and out, you're probably going to be lost while watching that. So that one was kind of a miss for me. And then a rare miss from Kyo Annie, Myriad Colors Phantom World, which had a good couple of episodes, but overall failed to make a really lasting impression with me. 
Uh, so those were my misses for this year. Did you have any series this year? You're talking about, you talked earlier about how this was a really involved year for you. Did you have any series that you watched either all the way through or partially that just didn't sit well with you and didn't make your list because of it? Uh, well, there are a few that I feel not necessarily that, you know, uh, were a specific miss that, uh, what is it, uh, became a, a real issue or ruined something for me, but there definitely were a few of them that uh, struck me as kind of disappointing because they didn't live up to uh, what, what I thought. Actually, there's one that I'm trying to remember what year it happened in, but I'll go through the others first. Uh, Myriad Colors Phantom World is certainly one of those on that list. It was reasonably fun throughout, but for a Kyoto anything and for kind of a limitless sort of approach, it, it ends up being meager fare overall, even though uh, Gepi-chan is the best. Uh, <laughs> P PA Works gets uh, two, actually, this year, but the only one worth noting for me, because I hoped for more from it, was uh, Harichika. Because if you're going to introduce something to me that has, like, wind ensemble in part of your premise in, in a block of time where Hibike Euphonium is, uh, you know, igniting my senses and you're going to do something that, you know, seems like it's, uh, uh, what is it, aspiring towards uh, Hyoka in ways, because it started incorporating these sort of simple mystery components to it. You know, it, it kept feeling like it was trying to get somewhere and just was not able to get its chin over the bar by the end. Um... Another one kind of like that that I that I enjoyed a lot for a lot more of the run, but uh, petered out and had some things that went the wrong way to me was uh, Izetta the Last Witch, uh, which I definitely enjoyed for a uh, good while, but uh, don't feel like it pulled it together and doing the whole uh, you know dark clone. Uh, arcs like oh let's make the big bad exactly you know another flying witch and uh, uh, th therefore they have to fight each other I'm like God, stop doing that as your thing but <laughs> the interesting thing about you know mashing you know magic and technology around is how you make them you know how how you actually try to counter each other during it's much more interesting than being well the only way to fight uh, Izetta is with Dark Izetta, and I'm like, uh... So that that ended poorly. And, uh... I, I felt like Joker game meandered around a bit too much as well. I'm not sure if it had more source and could have pulled it together, but these were ones that I, at least at some point, I went into trying to invest uh, uh you know, interest in or did have substantial interest for a while, but just felt like they couldn't really uh, pull it together. So they were they were disappointing by the end in that I feel like there was 
un, not wasted potential, but unclaimed potential rather than the usual falling off a cliff and uh, ruining themselves kind of thing. But uh, those, I, I think, are the ones that, uh, you know, they, that they didn't amount too much, but I wanted them to, so... Yeah, Izetta is definitely one of those shows that I have to agree with you on in that I was going to put it on my honorable mentions, but honestly, I watched it that once and have never watched it again. I have no real desire to ever watch it again. It wasn't necessarily a bad show. It just didn't stand out as particularly memorable either. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. So, alright, uh, with those out of the way, let's go ahead, let's get into our honorable mentions, the series that we want to put on our list, but we're limited to five choices, so we can't. So, what are your honorable mentions for series that you would have put on your list had we expanded out our list to 15, like you were suggesting? <laughs> even more, yes. Come on, keep keep hitting them. These ones technically are more just things that I feel like mentioning. Uh, one of them is an honorable mention that I couldn't put uh, in later, but when I'm doing my actual picks, that's where some of the, my honorable mentions will be while I'm chatting up what my actual pick will be. Uh, but I could not figure out a way to slip my favorite of the anime shorts in uh, there. This is the year that Ninja Girl and Samurai Master began. And I don't know why it appeals to me quite as much as it does, but it's just a little short uh, about, you know, the the chibi uh, uh, folks doing the whole Nobunaga struggles. It, apparently, it's a reasonable way to get some historical context from a bunch of stuff because it tries to follow the history. It just, you know, obviously humors it all up. Uh, kind of like cells at work would uh, <laughs> it teaches you biology as it were. Uh, uh -huh. but it, it's just very entertaining because it's those uh, those particular warring states period. But we have our little main character who is a ninja who puts herself in service to uh, Nobunaga and uh, lots of the humor follows through her. Uh, the other stuff that I'm going to mention, I'm very quickly going to break the swear barrier and mention um, Macross Delta for the sole purpose of saying, fuck you, Harmony Gold. Uh, <laughs> because, of course, yet another Macross series that we are not allowed to watch legally. So, goes by the wayside. Uh, I have to give a... Uh, a, a a handshake to a series that could throw eight exclamation points in its title and somehow deserve it, because uh, this is when Keijo uh, came out, the most ridiculous hype sports shonen battle uh, series that's all hot chicks, boobs, and butts, somehow is not just overboard. Like, the fan service is so overboard that it doesn't matter anymore and you kind of don't care. And it seemed like it was the most uh, mimetic uh, anime of that season. 
and then the other one that uh, no one can figure out, but I have to mention it periodically, uh, we got the Lost Village this year, and that was just a pile of screwballs. <laughs> I have a few honorable mentions myself. The first three are just obligatory. Just I feel the need to mention them, even though I don't have much to say about them. Ask Class Season 2, which was probably the better half of the of the series. Uh, My Hero Academia started in 2016, and ReZero started in 2016. So those are my obligatory mentions of those. My real honorable mentions, however, I have to give a shout-out to Agretzko, because the first season is arguably the best season. I haven't seen season three yet, but I really thought that the first season was just amazing. 91 Days, which was a fantastic mafia story. And then the last one is one that I really, really wanted to put on my list, but I just didn't have the space for it. And that'd be a really underrated series that hardly anybody watched called Cheer Boys. <laughs> so, alright, those are my honorable mentions. Uh, we do have a couple of user lists. Uh, before we get into our main list, though. So I want to read those off really quickly. First one comes off a of Discord from uh, your friend and my acquaintance, Ray Earth, <laughs> uh, who listed off about 25 series in three different categories. I'm only going to name off the series that he actually watched from the first category. <laughs> uh, so he... Listed off Erased, Konosuba, Dagashi Kashi, ReZero, My Hero Academia, though he did the BNHA, uh, Flying Witch, New Game, Rewrite, UFO Season 2, Flip Flappers, and Ask Class Season 2. So good list there. And then we also got a submission off of Twitter. A uh, short one with Erased, 91 Days, and Schwarzenmarken. I don't believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, but... <laughs> Schwarzenmarken. Yeah, okay, we'll go with yours. It's, it's Germanish, so you, you have to yell. Yeah. That's the law. Yeah, yeah that, yours sounds much better than mine. <laughs> but let's yeah, get into I'll, our main I'll give the, the obligatory re-mention that... Uh, TBK Euphonium uh, Season 2 in Episode 5 has the best musical moment and I think over, overall one of the most uh, uh, you know dramatic connected episodes that there is. Uh, so it's uh, it, it, it takes some willpower for me to not just give Ufo another slot. <laughs> We all appreciate your inner strength. Hmm. Let's go ahead. Let's get into our main lists. Uh, go ahead. We'll start with you. What are you going to give to your first slot? Uh, I'm doing these more by... I'm, I changed up my order. This pick was... My first pick and my last are definitely were on the list, but other ones I moved around for the year to to do a bit more with them i'm gonna pick things that are a little bit more personally connected or i just feel like talking about 
this first one, to get it out of the way, you had an obligatory mention uh, of it, uh, but this I, I just mentioned during the, the year was when I started doing a whole lot more chatting with people about anime specifically on discord my first discord was in fact an erased spoiler cord because we couldn't talk about it anywhere everywhere people were chatting it's like no spoilers no spoilers and i'm like screw that here's the server where all we're gonna do is <laughs> chat about everything it's a it's an all spoilers one uh and erased does very well i really enjoy the series uh obviously i look with a lot of people it stumbles at the end um and for some people it stumbles in the middle so in this case uh the one that lasted longer and i think had the most you know overall moments to go with and the most to chat about and it certainly took the entire community by storm and i i have to give it to re-zero specifically I wasn't really sure what to do going into it because, you know, when you're kind of on the far side of what you assume that, uh, uh, what is it, light novel-based isekai is going to be, and you're in a, okay, Sword Art Online gave me about 18 episodes that I cared about and the rest were kind of, eh. <laughs> and then these other ones, maybe you fall, maybe you fall into Log Horizon a bit, maybe you fall into these other things. It, it was already starting to get a, a, a bad reputation by this point, and we haven't even had you know the additional four more years of just a crazy amount of isekai. Uh, but I feel like ReZero was one of those that did really well in striding a balance between doing something different and kind of not breaking the format very much it feels very much like a power trippy sort of uh, you know self-insert uh, uh, anime protagonist but at the same time it decides that that means you have to punish the main character <laughs> <laughs> it's like, believing you're part of this world is worth tremendous amounts of punishment to this individual. So, yeah, you got to see the the far side of a shtick that you do see in other medium where you can, you know, reset, reload a, a kind of mechanic that usually is just used to power trip with. Uh, but in this case, you get the other side of it where you actually kind of more easily go along for the ride of saying, okay, the, here's a character who's trying one thing and messing up and trying another thing and messing up and striving to get a little bit more knowledge to go into the next loop and eventually just breaking down utterly. Because you, you kind of forget that if you get, you know, tortured and, <laughs> and hurt and burned alive or... <laughs> all manner of of stuff it's it's not a simple thing it, it turns into a kind of torture to go along with it so even though the it very much character designs and certain positions all feel like they're much of a kind but then the lens through which you're experiencing them i think is different enough and interesting enough that uh it makes the ride pretty compelling 
and of course by the end of this year you know you'd have uh it it didn't feel like a huge cliffhanger but you had people who had read on in the light novels who were basically taunting you at just how bad <laughs> things are and what things are about to happen and you're like okay fine when season two and then it it does the attack on titan and takes four damn years for it to start up again even though everyone is like give me more so uh at least we're getting more uh and frankly it hasn't uh i don't feel like it's let up particularly it's still doing its thing well enough that uh that i i'm enjoying the ride and uh i'm enjoying that it's not falling into bad habits or easy routes yet so i like it and it's probably one of the best just shared community experiences you can have with others who are following along in in a way that you really don't get just by saying oh did you see that cool fight last episode Oh, which which tends to be an awful lot of it otherwise. Or here's the screenshot of the risque uh, thing from this other show that that we're watching. I don't I don't feel like after every episode of Fruits Basket, I can have a drawn out conversation with, <laughs> with people about it. We'll, we'll share and we'll enjoy, but uh, we we won't feel like there's stuff to talk about as it were. So okay. Uh, so for my first choice, it's not really an obvious choice, but people pretty much know how I feel about this series, so I am going to go with one of the best comedies of the year, because I, lo I do love me some good comedy, uh, and that would be Haven't You Heard on Sakamoto. That is fun times, to be sure. Sakamoto is just one of those really fun shows. You talked about how ReZero was a really fun group experience for you, how you were discussing it weekly. I was, like I mentioned earlier, during 2016, I was appearing on a weekly podcast, The Talker Sphere, and I was having a shared experience with this show with the host, Karen, as well, except for our shared experience with this show wasn't so much discussing the show. We did discuss the show, but we were also in a fun little argument over which one of us would get to claim Sakamoto as our husband though. <laughs> so we developed a competition where every single week we would come up with our Sakamoto dream date and try to outdo each other every single week. If you actually go onto YouTube and search out Otaku Sphere, you can find these episodes still. We go to some pretty insane lengths to outdo each other, and it is ridiculous, but it was also one of the funniest and most fun experiences I've ever had while discussing anime with someone else. So that's a really fond memory for me. Sakamoto is always going to have a, a pleasant place in my heart because of this. 
Uh, so yeah, so that's the reason why it gets the first spot on my list. Sounds good. Definitely was a good year for, you know, a certain level of uh, weird comedies. And I'll, I'll pull two that I would later mention and just mention them alongside uh, Sakamoto because uh, it, it, it's hard to have a, a year where you have an idol group that is made of statuary. Uh, <laughs> Boys was, was pretty entertaining and uh, someone earlier mentioned Dagashi Kashi which was uh, one of those again just a, a screwball uh, uh, you know comedic farce with a lens of actually learning about you know Japanese snack food because <laughs> none of it was you know it's all real stuff at that point I'm like eh, this is just entertaining so, uh, but Sakamoto is definitely cool, cooler, coolest. Damn right. Uh, that's what I got for my first one. Let's go ahead. Let's jump right along to our second choice. Uh, what is your number two slot? Uh, 2016 in many ways kind of feels like, uh, some Piki Ashike. Certainly... It had more than I had watched in any other year previous, and likely since. Uh, even minor ones like uh, Poco Zudon World, but uh, there is a Manchu, uh, ostensibly about scuba diving, but not really. <laughs> not really very much, but by the Aria author, so you can imagine what it's like. Uh, probably the most well-known one for most people was Sweetness and Lightning, with that tiny ball of uh, amazing hair floof and uh, and the joys of cooking. But for me, the Iyashi K that uh, uh, took the cake, and I felt the need to give Iyashi K a slot. This year for me uh, is Flying Witch. Uh, which it, which is kind of like taking, you know, a, d a dash of Kiki's, uh, you know, a, a bit of Nonombiori, a bit of other stuff, and just sort of mixing it all together. You have your uh, uh, heartfelt series about, uh, you know, a family whose cousin, the witch, comes to uh, visit them in the countryside, and they just have these minor little magical adventures uh not really doing very much just sort of interacting i think the uh the deal with the mandrake root was what cinched it for me because that happened very early it was either episode one or two where our uh uh witch has come and she's trying to make friends with the classmate of uh of her cousin who's there and the classmate uh, is a uh, you know, trying to know what to make of her. And she goes like, oh, there's this thing. I, I I can tell that there's this thing over here. And she goes basically to pull a mandrake root from the ground. And when it pulls out, it's this crazy, swirly-eyed, weird little uh, spirit <laughs> gourd. And it just shrieks for like 20 seconds. <laughs> the the loudest most uh strange cry that that you can get and her pulling the root out and listening to the 
crying watching you know the birds go and people the town over just sort of pick their uh heads up and like well what's that and uh she's like here here is a token of my friendship you can have this root and it's just sitting there mumbling going and it struck such the right chord with me that uh that it is just uh, such a uh, fun ride to go on uh, when, you know, sisters and familiars come in and all of the various stuff. It's uh, it's just like a, a uh, lower level uh, Kiki's. You're actually following the witch and the other magical people around. She's not really helping the townsfolk so much as simply being there doing things and you're interacting with all the supernatural elements around i know that the manga is still ongoing i certainly hope we get more of the anime at some point i'm not sure how how well it did but i i definitely hope it returns i have not watched all of flying witch i started watching it and i thought that it was cute and i thought that it was fun but i never bothered to actually finish it uh one of these days i'm going to though it's one of those shows that i do want to finish because i was enjoying what i saw i just got distracted by something else that was shiny did you pick up other Iyashike during that year, or was it not as big for you overall as it felt like? I did not watch it in 2016. I actually only picked up the first four or five episodes about a year or so ago. I, I mean of some of the others I mentioned, like Sweetness. Oh. Sweetness and Lightning, I have problems with cooking anime because <laughs> I always get too hungry while watching them well the solution is you make a dinner and then that's the first thing you watch oh always gotta watch when when i'm making dinner it's like the first thing is oh, okay there's an episode of food wars i'll watch that first there's an episode <laughs> of sweetness and light and watch watch the things with food while you're eating and therefore uh you you can uh, not suffer the consequences of uh, uh of too much drool worthy food out there <laughs> so for my second pick I am also going to go with something that's vaguely supernatural um, it's a little more it's a little more dra dramedy it has some drama it has some comedy but it's another series that I never hear anybody really talking about every so often someone will bring it up but it doesn't happen very often which makes me sad and that would be the morose monarchian there you go i uh i i mention it i still read the manga i, I throw screenshots in there i i like the, the Morose Mononokian quite a lot so yeah Morose Mononokian is just one of those shows i'm glad that you still talk about it i think you talk about it in one of the channels that i have muted uh i think you talk about it in like blather or something like that yes that's where uh, i throw my screenshots while i'm reading yeah them. i have that channel muted so i never see them i occasionally try to uh summon karen to it as well but uh she hasn't shown in a while yeah she doesn't jump on discord all that much anymore but yeah um 
Yeah, Maris Mononokian is just one of those really great, fun dramedies that not enough people talk about. I think it's a really fun show. I watched both seasons with my wife. We watched it weekly because Funimation was simul-dubbing it. Uh, so, yeah, but it's just a really fun supernatural show. It kind of reminds me of Holic, only, you know, good. <laughs> Short, shorter limbs and necks. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of reminds me of that, except for, you know, like I said, it's good. It has a really decent story. It has fun character designs. I don't remember the name of it, but the little floof that he carries around with him is just adorable. The fluff ball? Fuzzy? Yes. Yeah, fuzzy. Moja Moja. Okay. I could not remember the name of the, <laughs> the proper name of it for the life of me. Yes, it's uh, adorable. Not not quite enough Zenko, unfortunately. She comes in pretty strong, and I enjoy when when she shows up. I thought she was going to sort of expand the cast a little bit, but it uh, became kind of like uh, Yahiko, just sort of a short arc thing here and there and then fade off in the background and then they go back to the uh the underworld or the uh demon world and uh pop back and forth yeah i think you don't quite get into as much of the drama uh yet so i'm really surprised it got a season two frankly this this one did not seem like one that would so i'm i'm glad that it did uh, maybe there will be a season three. Still got time. I'd really like it if it got a season three. That would make me very happy. Particularly considering that season two left off on such a big open ending that annoyed me. But we can <laughs> talk about that some other year. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't quite remember where it left off. In in part because even if I. I think I didn't watch all of season two because, you know, I, whenever the manga updates, I read and I'll go back in it. So I, I didn't uh, necessarily pick all of it up. So it's hard to remember where I left off with it. Yeah, no problem. Let's go. Let's move along. What is your number three slot? Interestingly, I didn't have too much of a shtick of this, except I wanted to get to a thing that I found personally great that I feel like uh, uh, didn't get enough mentioned. Uh, I mean, Flip Flappers hit a whole lot of things, but a lot of people were familiar enough with that. And uh, I feel ob obliged to mention it mainly because it has one of the best endings of all time. Uh, <laughs> Morose Mononokian, however, was second on my mention list. So I could have ended up here uh but i did move on um the the third one is one of those that impresses me uh because i mentioned this during our run with the wind cast uh, it's from the same author but i don't know how you can make anime about two of what feel like the most boring and unconveyable things ever running like distance running and compiling a dictionary but uh, the, great, <laughs> the great passage is one of those things that i enjoy an awful lot 
Uh, but even then, it, it seems to get enough mention. So where I ended, not necessarily better than I consider Great Passage, but I really liked Alderman on the Sky. And I'm sorely disappointed that we're not going to be getting more of it and that more people, you know, don't talk about it. I've mentioned in earlier years that I kind of like the, the military history fantasy kind of stuff, whether you're a real world or magic world. So this is a fantasy world, but it's from the it, it's from the perspective of a main character who's uh, you know that he's going to grow up all big and famous one day, known as the Lazy General. Uh, so what what he is, is he's an amazing strategist, and the reason he is is so he can take care of things right away and <laughs> expend as little effort as possible. <laughs> so his, his keen analytical mind is so that he can be slothful. Uh, to the degree that he wishes to be. The relationship between him and his childhood friend, uh, Yatori, who's, you know, the swordswoman of it. She's basically the the uh, battler between the two. She's uh, kind of his bodyguard while he's doing his generality stuff. Uh, uh, she's kicking butt and taking names. Uh, but what you basically see them going into is a military academy and then getting drawn into the world is starting to open up with war in one place or another they get you know placed out in the field and then it turns into all sorts of encounters big and small between some units trying to take locations i feel like this had a lot more that it could build towards uh, but it only got a core and i'm not really sure what went on there there seemed to be announcements that it simply would not be continued which was a weird way to do it i mean that it was done by studio madhouse so it's not like they don't have resources it wasn't a falling in the gaps i guess it just didn't do well enough i mean it had 14 light novels you figure that it would have done well enough uh so it it's one of those that i really really wish i could have more of uh, and actually kind of cared about the relationship between the two main characters, even on a semi-romantic level. Uh, but of course, nothing actually happens in that amount of time, and who knows what would in the future. So it's it's one of those that, as you find with the Morose Mononoke, and very few people talk about, certainly to any extent, it seems to have happened and disappeared uh, but I want to to give it a a call out uh, specifically and and wave my flag saying you know what even though you're only going to get one core of it you should go ahead and watch it anyway. Right on. I could swear that I watched the first like one or two episodes of that and then just decided to not continue on with it. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot about it. So, other than what you just described... Well, it's worth it, but I know that our lists of shame are long, so if you don't get yeah. out to it, it's, uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. Okay. Let's go ahead, let's move along to my third slot. Um, we've t The last three shows on my list are series, are series that we've talked about before on previous casts, so we don't have to go into them too in-depth, 
but this one, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about it and reiterate just how amazingly good it was. Uh, and that would be the drama series March Comes In Like a Lion. So March Comes In Like a Lion, just easily one of the best dramas of 2016. It's pure drama. It has some funny moments, but for the most part, it's a really solid moving story about a young shogi prodigy who is trying to compete and, you know, make a living playing professional shogi while also being friends with a group of three sisters of various ages. And it's just such a good show. I need to go back and watch it again sometime, particularly... I'm pretty sure this happened during the first season, uh, but the bullying arc where the middle sister is being bullied at school because she stuck up for someone else who was being bullied, and the way that her teacher dealt with it by actually, you know, fucking dealing with it was just absolutely amazing to me. I absolutely loved that. I'll, I'll interrupt quickly. Sangatsu is only not on my list for 2016 because I was hoping to wait to use it in 2017. Specifically, we only get the first core of season one in 2016, so it's more the, the setup. But a lot of the, okay. and specifically the Hina storyline you are currently talking about, is part of season two and handled in 2017 so if i was gonna let it sneak through and bring it up next year but since you mention it now i'll free up a slot for next year and we'll we'll just chat about march comes in like a lion for as long as you want um yeah i i love this series quite a lot and indeed that particular arc because because it's extended you don't uh it's not like it sits there and does a, a thing with uh with Hina for a short period of time and then you get two or three episodes which are dealing exclusively with that it's kind of drawn out because your frame of reference is still through the main character uh Ray and his shogi experience but in this case you're also getting Hina coming in from the sideline and she'll get a focus for the episode but then you'll you know phase back out and and Ray who's decided to go back to school he want he was going to give up school and just continue being a professional shogi player but we got to see that he he felt like there was something missing there so he goes back to high school and in this case he's interacting with his new mentor as it were a guy who's uh, a shogi fan and uh, and a teacher off to the side uh so you get both hina and her teacher and some of the ones who are you know awful uh and then you also get ray feeling powerless and his teacher trying to help and coming in off to the side and then an actual teacher who does give a damn and of course you get the older sister who is also uh you know tr trying to figure out how to handle it and none of it is 
you know, mopped up quick and simple. It's it's left in some ways fairly dirty. You feel good about it because you're coming from the perspective of Hina just doing the right thing and there is resolution. It's it's just not, you know, a perfected thing. It's not a, a quick and easy one. So it's it's played out very well and it's uh i mean bullying is going to come up a little bit later but uh it's not something that usually is handled in anime or with any uh with any finesse or reality to it precisely it's usually much more okay here's the bad guy bullyers and the main character throws a guitar pick at them and beats them up and you know, snaps their sunglasses in half with her, uh, with her shoe. And, uh, and then you go back to the rest of the rom-com and it's like, Hey, bullies. Uh, (laughs) But in the meanwhile, you're getting, you know, with, with Sangatsu in general, you're getting the, uh, mainstay of Ray trying to be a part of a world that he's kind of too young for, but he's, canny enough and intelligent enough to be in and still trying to retain some of his childhood growth experiences uh, because of course the setup was that uh, he lost his uh, parents and uh, sibling in a car accident and was uh, adopted by a shogi master himself who is teaching his kids and brings Ray in and Ray being a prodigy at it starts to disrupt their family life. So it's, it's very murky. And uh, I mean, Shaft is the studio doing everything here. So they're also able to artistically portray uh, an awful lot of the you know mind mess that ray is in much of the time and there's a lot of emotionality that comes through the art rather than internal monologue or character expressions uh and they they go into experimental things a lot so from an artistic standpoint this is also a uh, a a high bar so I, th- I think from all angles, uh, March comes in like a lion is, is certainly not something to be missed if you are at all into, you know, me- meaty dramas of a sort, even if you think this might be too kiddie. It, it really isn't. No, I would totally agree with you on that. The only caveat that I would put on with March Comes In Like a Lion is that I would not try to marathon it. (laughs) I would break it up into pieces just because if you try to marathon it, I pretty much can guarantee that you are just going to spiral downward into the deepest, darkest hole of depression that you can imagine, just because the series will beat you over the head with it. It it will, and from a, a number of different, you know, uh, a number of different angles. So even if you don't attach to Ray as the main character, you may do to the kind of over-the-hill uh, 
shogi uh, master who's brought in uh, for something. There, there are a lot of arcs that are done from a perspective of other characters. Ray interacts with them, but he's not always playing them in games. Uh, sometimes he does play them in a match. Sometimes he's interacting with them while they are playing a match with someone else, such as the the Majin, the you know the Shogi Master of uh, their societies. Sometimes they come in through his uh, adoptive father or uh, sister, who he has a very messy relationship with. So uh, there's there's a lot of angles for uh, for you to gain interest in what the uh, what the series is conveying. Yeah, honestly, I mean, even if you don't like Ray as a main character, it is so difficult to watch this show and not just fall in love with the three sisters and their <laughs> adorableness and their camaraderie with each other and how much they stick up for each other. It's just, it's so hard. And I would say damn near impossible to the really... Yes, the, the Kawamoto sisters are a tour de force, but Nikaido is best girl. <laughs> <laughs> Ray has a, a great best friend slash lifelong rival uh, who it, it, it's just usually pretty pretty wonderful when, the, when he's in things because it's also a character who's chronically ill and fighting from his own uh, direction, but he still gets to be involved in a lot of the, you know, comedic elements, although they oftentimes turn, you know, earnest or, or heartwarming as well. And uh, you're, you're rooting for pretty much everyone. Maybe not Kyoko. <laughs> and, and certainly not the adopted dad who you're like, oh my God, what is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> I haven't read one of the manga, so maybe uh, maybe this guy will get uh, a better treatment later. But uh, he's he's definitely one of those people who you just want to sock in the face. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's move along. Uh, we're up to our fourth slot. What is your number four? Uh, I am back with the ability to bring a, a deserving movie into my list. I feel like 2016 specifically for movies is where one of them, y'all know what it is, uh, basically turned anime and theaters into much more of a thing. Uh, because Your Name definitely had a large run. It was playing in multiple places. It became you know, known as the uh, highest selling uh, anime in Japan. Uh, that's not my choice, but I'm <laughs> lensing in through it. Uh, okay. The uh, so I have to have to mention it, and uh, you know, if you want to talk about it, I'm I'm certainly there. But uh, it it's also you know the the time period in in which you had Shinkai, and you're like, oh my god, for once in your miserable life, let your characters have a happy ending. Uh, so he he finally perfected a a format that uh, instead of just being you know beautiful 
and uh, uh, emotionally evocative also makes people have happy feelings at the end <laughs> and become a popular uh, thing. Uh, so I, I do uh, think that, uh, you know, the various Ghibli fests picked up either during or after that time period where you had a few things. And then after that, I feel like they had runs of a dozen Ghibli movies every time they were doing a Ghibli fest. So it, it feels like at least right around your name is where that picked up. Uh, the other choice for most people for movie of 2016 would be A Silent Voice. That's why I said that Bullying Will Come Up, because this is another one that I think handled it uh, very well. Uh, it's one of the few series that I tell people that it feels kind of important to read. Uh, but it's also not my choice because of that thing there. I uh, I read it a number of times before seeing it, and I feel like the uh, the manga overall is a uh, bigger pull for me. So, as much as a silent voice is an excellent movie and a another Kyoto animation uh, triumph, uh, in many ways, I uh, personally like the other movie that probably a lot of people don't know too much in that year, which would be in this corner of the world. I forget whether or not you've backed it uh, or anything. It it was directed by the My My Miracle guy, uh, so it kind of came in from the side. I remember the first inter interaction I had with this work was uh, Otakon in 2014, was hosting an exhibit that was all basically like historical uh, uh, photos and all of the, you know, the storyboard work and uh, uh, the research that they've been doing. So it was uh, a very interesting exhibit to look at. And it was a lot of, you know, examining how they're trying to convey, you know, J wartime Japan right around uh, Hiroshima. Uh, obviously that's going to come up, but it, it's not uh, <laughs> going, it's not going to present things from the, the barefoot again or the grave of the fireflies, uh, excuse me, angle. Uh, when it finally became accessible, for me when I was able to at last get the Blu-ray for it, which was years after it came out in Japan as well, so I don't think I got it until to watch until 2018. Uh, but it it's a strange little production. It's odd to do something that feels much more slice of life to start because it starts a number of years uh if I recall, before the war and quickly moves into the, you know, the, the war's effects and, uh, and rationing and everything else. But your frame of reference is through a, basically a young woman who wants to be an artist and she's, you know, sketching and, and experiencing and uh, doing things, but she kind of, ends up getting married into a family and, you know, it's just the slow uh, uh, consumption 
of everything about the war uh, going on. And then eventually you'll you'll deal with the aftermath of the uh, bombing of, of Hiroshima and some of the after-war effects. And you're just sort of journeying with with this character through it. And a lot of bad things happen. Obviously, this is wartime uh, Japan, <laughs> Japan. But you know you're you're experiencing it through her particular lens and it is a weirdly encouraging one throughout despite the hardship and by the end even while you're busy you know clutching at your sides and angry at the world because of it uh i have not watched the extended version i know that they've come out with a version that is much extended so hopefully there will be a a Blu-ray availability of that as well, and I'll buy it for a second damn time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's definitely one of those that I, you know, it, it hit me in different sort of ways that I find particularly appealing and usually doesn't get a whole lot of uh, visibility, especially if you're talking about 2016 because of your name and the silent voice. So, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give my time and, uh, uh, recommendation for In This Corner of the World. Yeah, that's another movie that passed me by that I meant to watch, but just never did, so. We're gonna, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a talk, man. <laughs> uh, so for my number four slot, this is another series that we have talked about on previous casts, but I'm going to bring it up again because it is one of my favorite Battle Royale series, and that's Magical Girl Racing Project. Magical Girl Racing Project, I just loved this show from start to finish. I really enjoyed the twist that they put on the whole Battle Royale, Dark Magical Girl series. Some of the characters were amazingly fun. Some of them were amazingly naive. Some of them were just batshit crazy, which I really enjoyed. I really liked how the characters were so incredibly varied from person to from character to character. Nobody was similar in any fashion. Uh, so that really stuck out with me and really struck a strong chord with me. Uh, I really enjoyed the show for the ending. I thought the ending was well played out. I don't know if I think it should get a second season. I think the first season ended pretty well. Uh, if it got a second season, I would watch it, but it's not something that I'm actively craving. As far as I know, it the light novel goes on for a while, and it just involves a whole bunch of them. So you'd you'd get more, but it would be indeed a different cast. So yeah. I suppose if they do the the same thing. Uh, and they introduce the new cast members and do it well, it's fine, but I don't I don't know if it will change up the nature of everything. I, uh, I still am torn on things like this, and 
Yuki Yuna and other ones that just seem like they're 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 chasing that uh, you know Madoka Magica level of of crack, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they. They they are fun to a degree. I did not enjoy McGurp uh, as much. I don't. I think there were a number of things that it did well and a number of things that it did poorly. So it was it was much more of an up and down. I kind of enjoy things like Yugi Yuna. I just feel like I can't I can't get over a particular step with them because it it feels like they're trying a little hard to to chase that precise magical girl dark fantasy uh uh vibe and uh it it feels like it possibly you should do the same thing through through another lens i'm i'm not sure the the rest of them have uh you know hit the hit the same kind of appeal uh but obviously that that depends on the person yeah, well, I mean, with Magical Girl Racing Project, I have to say that what stuck out with me the most is that it was not predictable. I mean, we figured out really early on that, yeah, everyone's going to die. <laughs> but in terms of who died and when... Very unpredictable to me. I did not see the various lengths that they were willing to go yeah, to. That at least made the the overall flow of it. And that was where more of them seemed to be okay, including, you know, the reveals of who were, you know, the the most uh uh threatening of the of the baddies when you when you went. It wasn't just the uh the good guys getting taken down at odd times. It was also which ones were considered bad guys and then how they were taken out and and when. So, yes, there was a, a decent amount of, of that, but uh, ultimately, for me, it, uh, I, I wasn't going to list it in my list of didn't quite make it, but that was kind of... Because <laughs> I had a feeling you are going to mention it. But uh, that... that that's where it, it struck around for me. Yeah, that's totally fine. Makes sense. I'm not going to hate you for it and write you off completely. That's fine. We're, we're going to get into fisticuffs soon enough. Soon okay. Enough. So, alright. Well, we got one slot left on our list. What are you filling with your last one? Uh, I can't not give it to one of my favorite series. Uh, there are times when I'm kind of willing to place it above uh, Chihaya Furu and uh, Space Brothers at certain times, because those two haven't finished yet, and this one is an overall. Uh, but it, it depends on my mood. I have mentioned it before a number of times. It had the only opening that I did not skip in 2016. Uh, it uh, covered two time periods that we don't get to see much of, but Showa uh, Genroku Rakugo Shinju. Okay. Uh, it uh, 
you know, introduces one of my, definitely one of my favorite overall characters that has ever graced the uh, scene. Uh, it has an interesting setup in that you have a double-length first episode, and you're following out someone who is just released from prison, but he had, uh, what is it, he had become fascinated with a particular Rakugo performer while there, and he goes in pursuit of someone to basically apprenticize him. And what happens by the end of the first episode is you're no longer in that frame of reference. You're sent back our, you know, elder master of, uh, of uh, Rakugo at this point, the uh, Yakumo VIII. We go back to when he became an apprentice back again before the war. So we jump from the 80s back to the 30s and then see... Uh, him as a kid and uh, another boy as a kid uh, becoming apprentices of a Rakugo master at the time, Yakumo VII, and what you're given to the uh, the whole time. You even go into this knowing that there will be a tragic end to this story because we know uh, from the beginning what has happened to one of the characters, but were basically enveloped in their entire upbringing and learning the art and uh, inspiring themselves and learning to find themselves and, uh, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, what is it, romantic triangles <laughs> coming up in here. Uh, and then you get, uh, you know, one of the most shocking turn of events uh, uh, that happens by the end. You you sort of go back to back from episodes where you just have tears of happiness streaming down your face. In that you know these characters have found and refound themselves and it you know are in a place wherein uh, uh, you know they can achieve a level of happiness. And then before the end of this particular core, you are slapped upside the head. Uh, <laughs> with, oh, you you forgot what this is going in. And uh, and then it returns back to the present, quote-unquote, which is actually the 80s, hence the uh, the, the Showa era, where we're kind of seeing, if I recall, we're seeing basically sort of the beginning and the end of the, of the Showa era represented with, uh, with the characters and the plots going through. So, uh... It's just a a hell of a overall story. It's a uh, it it's certainly a great bromance. Most of the time, you're pretty sure it's a, a yaoi title of some sort, uh, but <laughs> but technically that doesn't happen. The author very much does that uh, for a lot of her other works. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, this this indeed is just you know in one core you're you're taken for explicitly a uh, a, a dramatic ride uh, and it's delivered by Studio Dean of all studios which is weird because I I don't really lean on Dean to deliver greatness but <laughs> I actually I actually gave them. Uh, 
Studi of the Year for 2016 because of this and uh, Konosuba. And if I recall, there is one other thing that they did. But uh, the director has gone on to uh, other interesting things. The director is the one who uh, goes into, was it uh, Kaguya? Uh, you'd know better than I would. I'm trying to remember if uh, I I may have thrown myself off in some stupid fashion, but at <laughs> any rate, uh, it's a it's a fascinating ride. It should definitely be uh, approached for anyone who is into drama in any way. It's uh, Jose in its purest form, and uh, I will. I will definitely force this down your gullet at some point. Alright, I stand warned. <laughs> I forget whether or not you had tried this before and just didn't continue, or if it's been a... No, I've never even sampled it. Okay, dude, you are warned. Okay. So, alright, uh, for my last pick, I am once again going with something a little obvious, something that we've talked about in the past. Uh, it's a series that took the entire world by storm in 2016. And Big ever order. Banania. Sorry. And ever since Studio <laughs> Mappa has been dripping out updates on the follow-up movie, little bits by little bits, uh, of course, I am talking about Yuri on Ice. Yes, you are. So Yuri on Ice, we've talked about this, I believe, during the uh, Alphabet cast. Uh, Yuri on Ice is just such a great, wonderful romance story between two guys that you just don't get to see in anime very often. I know I say that a lot, but in this case, it's really, really true. Uh, I love that it is telling a romance story between two guys without trying to play it up for laughs all the time. Uh, there are occasional laughs, of course, but it's telling a sweet, genuine story from start to finish, which I really appreciated. It's really well animated, really just a lot of fun. I can't speak highly enough about it. I've watched it more than a few times already and i know that you get on my case about not watching movies but i will <laughs> say that when the yuri on ice movie does come out i will watch it no doubt about it oh good finally found a way to get you to watch a movie <laughs> yes yeah, certainly it was definitely positioned to take the the whole year by storm it it uh, won the entirety of the first Crunchyroll Anime Awards. Anything it could possibly won, it totally won. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, it's it's definitely a good time. I uh, definitely feel that for something that comes from a yaoi direction, we are usually missing uh, more wholesome experiences as a genre it seems to uh, lean quite a bit more into the uh, the harder and more uh, dramatic sides of presenting uh, 
relationships between gay men. I think we we need a bit more Yuri and Ice, a bit more, you know, what did he eat yesterday, things like that. <laughs> uh, I still have a problem with the uh, with uh, a lot of the skating scenes. I've mentioned it before. The uh, the the way in much in which my brain reacts to CG also reacts to the the lower frame rate rotoscoping nature that a lot of the uh, things hit with. So it, it kind of took me out of trying to enjoy, excuse me, their routines in that uh, it, it just, you know, would uncanny valley me all of a sudden while they were doing a, uh, a particular jump or a, a Lutz of some sort. I, I wish that it might be just my crazy brain, but uh, I, I wish that they gave it a little bit more during those because it does it does feel like it uh, it hits me askew. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get the movie in theaters. Kind of feels like we're not going to get anything in theaters for uh, most of the next year, starting from yeah. Now. Well, we make they may get it in Japan, but we're surely not going to get it here. <laughs> You're not, sure not going to hear, which is, which is disappointing because it would probably be a good thing on the full screen, and indeed this, along with any number of other things from uh, Mappa, makes me uh, really keep an eye on this studio uh, in general. It's usually just knowing Mappa is involved in something is enough to uh, to let me look in and see how it's going. Well, I mean, with Yuri on Ice, I knew about the existence of Studio Mappa before the series came out, but ever since it came out, I pay really close attention to what they do. I've watched Zombieland Saga, I'm watching uh, uh, Gymnastic Samurai right now. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I, ever since this series came out, I've paid a lot more attention to them. They started with Kids on the Slope, man. You can't even outdo that. But yeah, they, they, they've they definitely picked up 2017 was a heck of a year for them as well. I think that's a, a good set of 2016 to toss at people. Yeah, so let's go ahead, let's wrap it up on that note. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say or comment or anything? I don't think so. I think uh, I think we covered the gamut. Awesome. So in that case, thank you again for joining me for another fun discussion. Thanks for having me. And thank you to all of you out there for listening to us ramble on for these last few hours. And I'm referring to the last, what, five, six episodes of these Decade in Review podcasts that we've done <laughs> so far. Uh, we've still got four more to go before the end of the year. So thank you all. Remember that these episodes go up on Patreon first. That's patreon.com slash otaku review. Uh, they hang out there for a week before hitting major podcast providers. Uh, if you want to do us a favor and drop us a like, share, and subscribe, that's always appreciated. Thank you very much, and have a good night, everybody.
I will remind that it's three more, 17, 18, 19. The next decade starts after that. So okay. We can, we can actually clear this out. Lickety split. Yeah, but... not a problem. <laughs> Good night, folks. Night.